when you talk with people about their, their spiritual journey and the things that have really caused them to take big strides forward in the relationship with God, there are five things that come up a lot. Now, there could be seven or 21, but we're going to talk about five in this series that in particular, here's what they do. They help fuel um, or propel our faith or our trust. So when I use the word, and I told you this, but I'll keep saying it, when I use the word faith or trust or confidence, um, they all basically come from the same Greek word. So oftentimes in your Bibles in the New Testament, you might see the word faith or the word, um, sometimes they'll translate it as confidence or, or trust. But they all come from the same root word. They, they're kind of a, they all mean the same thing. It's about having a trusting relationship with God. And we said that that's important because what God wants from you uh, more than anything else, you know, we said the thing that broke humanity's relationship with God was a lack of trust. And we said that first week that every single sin you could ever commit, always, you can always trace it all the way back to some way in which we don't trust God and his ways. And so if it's trust that, that breaks our, or lack of trust that breaks our relationship with God, Jesus came to undo that by helping us trust God more, to trust in God's character, to trust in God's goodness, to trust in God's plans for us. And last week we talked about providential relationships and why that's so important. And today we're going to talk about private spiritual disciplines because, man, nothing is fun, right? Like talking about discipline. So we're going to talk about that today. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6 because that's where we're going to be most of the time. And while you're turning there, I'll just tell you back at the beginning of summer, um, I'd shared with you, if you're here that weekend, about some health issues that, that I'd been dealing with and that were kind of coming on in April and, and May. And the doctors finally kind of said, well, they labeled it peripheral neuropathy and I'm just having some issues with my hands and my feet and um, numbness and tingling and lack of coordination and some of that stuff. And so I've been going to doctors and going to specialists and, you know, trying to get to the bottom of it. And one of the things I learned like right away is uh, like neurology is really not so much of a science, uh, more of an art, but that's a whole other story. And so I've been going to the doctor and getting tests and all this stuff. And then what here's, so here's what I was hoping for and probably like maybe you when you have a health issue. I was hoping to go to the doctor and he would say, take this test, you know, do this or do this or something. And then, oh yeah, I know what you have. And here, just do this or give you a shot or kick you or something and you'll be better. And, and then you can go on your way and be done. And that's not really how it's turned out so much for me so far. We're still in the middle of it. But we went through a couple months where they said, let's try to do some things and see if they help. And they did some blood work and found that I was really deficient in certain areas. And so um, the first thing they said was, well, you need to come in every week and we need to give you some, some shots, some injections. Right? And I mean, nothing's fun like shots, right? So like, in fact, I asked last night, anybody like getting shots? And like all the people in the front row liked it, which I'm not sure what that means, but you guys don't like shots, right? I don't like shots. So, but I have to go in every week and get shots, right? And I'm not a big fan of it. And I remember asking myself, like when, when the doctor first said you need to come in, I remember thinking, why would I do that? Why would I go in every week and let somebody stick a needle in my arm and kind of move it around and, you know, pretend like it takes a long time when it doesn't and, you know, look like they're not having fun when I know they really are. And why would I do that? But of course, the reason I, I decided to do it was because I was hoping there would be a benefit to that. In fact, what they said was, well, actually, it's not enough to get you shots. We need you to take some supplements and stuff too. So first it was one and then two and then three and then five that it's taken. Now, I've never, ever had to take anything on a daily basis. So when the doctor says, you got to take this little small mountain of pills every day, you know, and um, the problem I found was after about a week into it, 
You know, it'd be like noon and I'd be like, now, did I take that or did I take that yesterday or did I take three of them or, you know, and then oh, I don't want to take too many. And so I realized there was only one solution and I was really kind of actually really embarrassed about it. So I went, I went, I decided to go to Target across the river where hopefully nobody I knew would see me, right? And I don't know what you go to another state to buy, but I went over there to get, so I went into the pharmacy section and I made sure nobody knew was there and I bought one of those pill boxes, right? Because I mean, nothing's more embarrassing than being seen at the store with a pill box. So I bought this pill box. Actually, last night, somebody from, that, from one of the senior grow groups said, oh, now you qualify to be in our group. You have a pill box. But then I went home and I put all the pills and then that kind of helps me keep track. But every day I have to keep tra- track of these pills and I have to take them and then, and then here's what I discovered. The doctor said, one of these you absolutely do not want to take on, a, on an empty stomach. And I thought, ah, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. So I took it and, hey, she was right. And so, um, so I have to take them in the morning, which means I need to eat breakfast. And I've never been a breakfast eater, just never, ever done that. I know, it's the most important meal of the day, but I just skipped it. So, um, so I had to start eating breakfast. So that was it. So it's kind of a discipline. I get up every morning, go, well, you know, I, so I probably get to get up like three minutes earlier now. So I get up breakfast and uh, eat breakfast, which for me is a discipline. I don't want to, I don't want to eat breakfast. And so I eat the breakfast so I can take the pills, so I can go and get the shots. And then my neurologist is like, you know, well, they did some tests and said, here's some specific nerves that aren't working well. And so one of the things you need to do in a situation like yours is um, never lean on your arms, right? So at first I'm like, you know, no leaning, big deal. In fact, that's what I told her. My wife and I were at the meeting and I said, oh yeah, big deal, no leaning. She's like, like you're doing right now. So I was at a table leaning on the table. She's like, no leaning on the table. No leaning like, and then I never realized, like I just thought, well, I mean, I never lean. I realized, man, I lean like all the time. In fact, I decided I guess the only thing I can lean on are the everlasting arms, right? But other than that, I can't do it. And so, in fact, I have a, a, a chair in my office and I had to take the, I had to take the arms off because you can't even sit in it without doing that. And then I, you know, no leaning on the table and no leaning. You know, sometimes I'm in counseling sessions and people are saying things and I'm leaning forward. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, I'm leaning. And I jump back and they think it's something they said. I'm like, oh, no, it's just me. Don't worry about it. And Oh, and then I have to wear this compression elbow wrap thing. And I never, I never, at night, I never think about it until I'm almost asleep. Then I realize I gotta, I gotta wear it and keep a daily log. And so anyways, you know, I kind of reached this point this summer where they kept adding these things, all these things that I don't, you know, don't, really don't want to do. But the reason I'm doing them and continue to do them is because I'm hoping and I'm praying that they'll provide a benefit. And that is that I'll have a better health situation. And the jury's kind of still out on that. But we're going to talk a little bit about discipline today, everybody's favorite word. And I'm going to define discipline this way. Discipline is is the practice of doing certain activities, uh, whether we feel like it or not, in order to receive a potential benefit. So for instance, that's why I take the pills and do all that kind of stuff. So because I'm hoping there'll be a benefit for that, this. And for many of you, maybe you practice daily disciplines. Maybe it's, you know, getting up earlier in the morning um, because there's a benefit for you if you do that. You don't want to get up early, but you know there's a benefit. Maybe it's going to bed early. Maybe it's eating less that for you is a discipline. Maybe it's eating healthier or maybe it's getting exercise. You don't want to exercise. You don't want to do it, but there's a benefit to doing it. Um, maybe it's saving more, spending less, spending more one-on-one time with your kids. Maybe for some of you, it's doing your homework. You don't, you don't want to do homework. It's not like your favorite thing to do. It takes discipline, but you do it because you've been told that there's a potential benefit to doing that. And then 
Here's one of the things the older you get that you realize, and that is that sometimes things that start as a discipline turn into something you enjoy. So, for instance, I had a discussion with someone a few weeks ago who told me about the fact that they lived in this neighborhood and they kept getting fines from the homeowners association for the weeds and the state of their yard. And they decided that they needed to have the discipline of weeding their yard and mowing their lawn and landscaping so they didn't get these fines. But lo and behold, what they discovered was they actually liked landscaping. And for them, it's become, well, actually, I think it's become an obsession, but they really like doing that. Maybe for some of you, it's exercise, right? Maybe you started running because you knew you needed to do something and you started running and you did it at first. It was discipline and then maybe at some point it turned into something enjoyable and you actually like doing it. I hear that happens. I hope it happens someday. Um, But it's not a discipline for you anymore. Maybe it's... um, Maybe it's practicing a musical instrument. Maybe your mom and dad made you take piano lessons or take guitar lessons. And then one day something kind of clicked and you decided you liked it. And now it's something that's, that's uh, enjoyable, maybe even an obsession for you. Uh, today we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. And the same thing can hold true for disciplines. These disciplines that we talk about, these are disciplines that, that God says we should do for our benefit. Now, there's a lot of things that we do for other people. And that can be a good thing. And the disciplines we're going to talk about today, they'll undoubtedly benefit the people around you, but that's not primarily why we do them, as we'll see when we dig into this text. Our text is going to be Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verses 1. And while there's a lot of disciplines we find in Scripture, we're going to talk about three today, just in this one passage from Jesus. And in fact, I have a fourth one on the end of your notes, and I can tell you... um, this will be the third time I tried and we're not going to get to it, right? So we'll probably cover the fourth one in a few weeks. But we're going to get to the first few. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1. And Jesus says this. Now be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. So first of all, a lot of times when we read this passage, we think that that term acts of righteousness is automatically a negative thing. But in fact, it, it's not at all. Jesus says, these are these acts of righteousness, when you kind of break it down, what you'll see is he's just talking about some spiritual disciplines that can actually be very beneficial for us as long as we do them in the right way. The wrong way to do them is to do these things and be seen by people. So they'll see it and be impressed by it. And he says this, if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And that's the other interesting thing about this passage. He says for each one of these, there's a reward. Now, I know that most of you are very, very spiritual people. And as we walk into this text, you're going to be like, I don't do any of these things for a reward because I'm just very spiritual. But Jesus says, actually, there's a reward to be gained. Now, the danger here is when you engage in these disciplines and your motive is to be noticed by people. So Jesus is going to dive into them and and we'll get into the first one. And the first one is this. It's it's a spiritual discipline of giving. It's where he starts in verse 2 and he says this. So, So when you give to the needy. And here's what you're going to notice about all three of these disciplines. He kind of follows a formula. He starts by with an expectation. You notice the expectation? When you give, not if you give, or, you know, if you get to that place where you give, or maybe you might think about giving. He says, when you give, so I'm expecting you to do it. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. Now I tell you the truth, or some of your translations say, verily, I say unto you, they have received their reward in full. So Jesus is talking about this, this discipline of giving, of generosity, and the example he uses is giving to the needy. And back then, people would have understood it a little differently than we do today, but, but back then, he's talking to a crowd who would go and they would worship 
at the temple maybe, or at a local, local synagogue if the temple wasn't nearby. And this is the practice they would do. They knew that God cares deeply about people who are in need. So they would make this practice. They would take some, some cash, and they would put it in their pocket, and on the way to worship God, if they saw someone who was in need, they would pull out a little cash, and they would give it to them to help them. Because they really saw, like, here's a way to worship God before I even get to the place I'm going, as I, as I meet the needs of people around me and am and, and generous with them. In fact, in some of your translations, he talks about giving alms. Now, alms are, this is money that we give to people in need. This is not the tithe. It's not the 10% in scripture prescribed by God to support back then the temple work or the ministry or future, the the ministry of the kingdom of God and, and, and getting the gospel out into the world. Instead, this is something that's above and beyond that. And notice he uses the word here, and he's going to use it in all three of our disciplines, the word hypocrite. So this is kind of important. He says, don't be like people who give as hypocrites, right? Or, or, or two-faced people. Um, now, how do we know, how does Jesus know that these people are hypocrites? Well, I think the trumpets probably kind of give it away. So I know we think he's speaking in hyperbole, but he's not. We know, for instance, that some people, as crazy as this sounds, um, they would hire, <laughs> so they might decide, today I'm going to church, and you know, on the way to church, I always get up to the stoplight, and there's this lady there holding the sign, and you know, today I'm going to give her some money. But if I'm going to give some money, I'm going to make it count. So I'm going to hire a guy to play the bugle horn. And when we get to the stop sign and the lights off, and I'm going to get out of my car and he's going to play the bugle horn or however you do that. And then I'm going to give the money and then somebody will take a picture and I'll put it on Facebook, right? And say, see how generous I am. And then everybody will be like, yeah, and that's good. And Jesus says, right, you're a hypocrite because here's the deal. He says, hypocrites are trying to look generous when in fact they are very, very greedy for recognition. And they try to look humble but they're very, very proud. And they want to look other-centered, but they're not. This is all about them and getting recognition. And so Jesus says their desire is to, be, is to be rewarded by men. And what he says is they'll get what they want. They will be rewarded by, you know, they'll, they'll be honored by men. And, and by the way, big deal, right? Because most people are kind of fickle and they like you one day and they don't the other. And Jesus is like, is that really what you want when you do that? There's a better way to do this. And in verse 3, he tells us, but... When you give, so again, there's an expectation there. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret, notice, he will, he will what? He'll reward you, all right? So he says, when you, when you give to the needy, I'm assuming you're going to give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The whole week I studied this, I kind of laughed because that's actually the problem I'm having right now physically. My hands don't always know what the other one's doing. But he's speaking figuratively here, okay? He's talking about, here's the practice. And people would have understood this back then. He says, picture it this way. You get up in the morning and you have a pile of cash on your dresser because it was a cash society back then. And let's say you decide, let's say your left hand decides, today I'd like to give away this much money to people that I see who are in need at the stop sign or in whatever. So your left hand takes some cash and stuffs it in your pocket, all right? Your left hand does not have a conference with your right hand. Let's say your right hand keeps track of the checkbook and you're that. They don't have a conference. They're like, well, how much do we give today and what's the percentage and who might be seeing it? No conference, no nothing, just like 
Take some cash, put it in your pocket, and out the door you go. So you're walking down the road, and you're making your way to Starbucks, and as you get to Starbucks, you see somebody, and they got a sign, and they're, and, and they're hungry. And so your right hand just decides, reaches in the pocket and grabs some of the cash that the left hand put in. Doesn't ask the left hand, is it okay if I take some? Doesn't have a conference with the left hand. The right hand just reaches in and takes some and gives it away and goes on. A little later, they see someone in need. They take some money in to give it away. At the end of the day, they get home, and the left hand reaches in and goes, hey, there's no money in here. And the right hand says, yeah, oh, that's right. I gave it all away. Well, who'd you give it to? Well, I don't remember. Well, who said you could give it away? Well, it was there, and I used it. And so the idea is there's this kind of like not a whole lot of planning. Just the left hand and the right hand aren't really working together. In other words, there was no big plan. There's no grand scheme. We didn't announce it to everyone. It was really kind of private. And so he talks about this idea of giving in secret. Now, here's what he's, here's what he's not saying. And I laugh because over the years, um, I've really seen some interesting situations. People who have just awesome hearts. But I, sometimes I'll have somebody come to me and say, I know somebody's in need or I know someone needs some money, uh, some money or I know someone needs some food or whatever and I really want to help them. But here's the problem. I don't want them to find out that I was the one who did it. Because if they find out that I'm the one who did it, then God won't reward me, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? If they find out, God won't reward me. So they want to go through some big, elaborate kind of scheme, uh, an offshore account to try to funnel the money and get it to them and all this stuff. And they're afraid that they won't get a reward from God if anyone finds out. Now, of course, that's not what Jesus is saying here. In fact, you read Acts chapter 4 sometime and you'll find a story about a guy named Barnabas who came to the church in front of everybody and gave some money, and that was cool. He was even honored in Scripture, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't private. What's up with that? Well, again, it all comes down to motive. And what Jesus is talking about here is the problem is when you give to impress people, when you go out of your way to have the bugle horn playing and everybody knows what you're doing, and instead he says, what you need to do is think about giving secretively. That is, it's giving that's primarily between you and God. There's no press conference. There's no horns going off. It's just between you and God. And he says, and God will reward you. Now, he doesn't tell us what the reward will be. But if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 6, I don't know, to me it becomes pretty apparent. Think about it this way. Imagine what your, what your life would be like if you really, really, really believed that you could trust God with every part of your life. I mean, imagine if you had complete confidence that any money that you gave away, and you know how the, the, the deal with money a lot of times is when we give money away, sometimes we think, what if I need that later, right? So what if you were the kind of person who could confidently give money away and, ha- and, com- and completely trusted that if later you were going to need it, that you could absolutely count on God coming through for you. And in fact, later on in the chapter, this is kind of the point Jesus drills down and he says this, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. He's talking about the idea of being generous and not working or worrying about money. And all of these things, what you need to eat and, and, and drink and the clothing and the roof over your head, all these things will be given to you as well. And imagine if you really, really believed that and that you really believed that anything that you invested in, in God's kingdom work, right, that God would see it and that God would reward it and take care of you. Now, if you really believed that, there would be no discipline involved at all in giving, would there? And if you saw somebody in need, there would be no discipline. And if the offering was coming around, there'd be no white knuckles, right? Because you would see every opportunity is like, woohoo, it's a chance to give it away and, and get rewarded by God. And I tell you, over the years, I've met some people who are exactly like that. I mean, they just don't even hesitate to do that. But for many of us, 
We're not quite in that place yet, and that's why Jesus says you need discipline. Because when you practice the discipline of generous giving, you're setting yourself up to be able to experience God's care for you as you give that money away. As, and, and, and the very thing that we worry about and that you know, we need more of and all that, Jesus says, as you're, as you're generous with that and as you, as you step out and trust God with money, Jesus says, I will be there and I will reward you. And I think the reward is that he will show us that he has our best interest at heart and that we can count on him. And when we do that, it grows our trust. It grows our faith in God. So Jesus talks about giving as a discipline that can help fuel our faith. But then he goes on and he talks about another one that I think we might expect. In verse 5, he talks about the discipline of prayer. Now again, this is something, as we're going to talk about, that, that for some of us, for a while, it needs to be a discipline because it's not natural for us. In verse 5, he says this. Now, when you pray, uh, do not be like the hypocrite. So again, we kind of have this formula. Here's what you do, but don't do it this way. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. And again, see this, to be seen by men. Now, I, I tell you the truth. When, a, when someone does that, they have received their reward in full. So now, first of all, Jesus isn't saying don't ever pray with, with other people. Uh, we know that because, for instance, Jesus prayed with other people. In fact, Jesus sometimes would pray in front of people. I think about him praying in front of Lazarus' tomb, and he prayed out loud. It's, the whole idea of Jesus praying is kind of funny to me. It's like, you know, was he talking to himself? You know, I mean, what's he doing? But they're just, obviously he's talking to the Father, but just interesting to me how he does that and does it out loud. And, and, and in the early church, they would, they would meet together and they would pray. So obviously that's not what he's, he's not saying don't get together with other people and pray. What he's addressing is the danger of a, of a prayer life where your prayers become nothing more than religious speeches to, to impress other people. Now, I'm guessing you've probably, you know, some of you, pure of heart, you've probably never dealt with that issue. As a pastor, I've been in situations before where I've seen, there's, there's pressure sometimes. You know, maybe you felt that. Maybe you've had to pray in front of a group of people, and maybe there's been some real spiritual people there, and you felt like, Ooh, you know, I better make sure I pray exactly the right words and the right prayer, and, and I better make sure it reflects, you know, the Lord's prayer, and I better make sure that I don't pray anything wrong or anything stupid. Or, and it can really be easy after a while, or maybe with your grow group, or maybe even at the dinner table where you just feel like the pressure, and pretty soon, and none of, the prayer is no longer just about pouring out your heart to God. You're not even talking to Him anymore. All you're thinking about is, what are other people thinking about as they hear me pray? And so Jesus is just saying, you know, you need to be careful about that because prayer is not about impressing people. It's about talking to God. So in verse 6, he says this, but, but when you pray, right? So here we go. When you pray, go into your room and, and close the door. Some of your translations say closet or it just has the idea of an inner private room and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret, again, it's interesting, he will, he will what? He will reward you. I, I, no, I love that. Um, so he says, go and close the door and pray. So we know he's not saying don't ever pray in front of other people. But he's, I think what he's saying is this. The authenticity of your public prayer life will always be built right, on your private prayer life. So if you want 
a public, if you want to be able to pray with your family and other people in a way that is real and authentic, it needs to be built upon a, there needs to be a private prayer life to, to back it up. Does that make sense? So that, so that when you pray in front of people, all you're really doing, that's just an extension of what it's like for you to pray alone with God when no one else is in the room and no one's judging your words and your intentions or your motives or, oh, I can't believe you prayed for that or that silly way. None of that, just you and God. And what Jesus is warning us about is that prayer could become the superficial thing. I don't have this deep, meaningful relationship with God behind closed doors. And therefore, my prayers are nothing more than speeches. Now, Jesus is not talking about, like, on-the-go prayer. So here's a practice I started years ago. I get up in the morning. The first thing I do is I pray before I even get out of bed because I can— I, so I just know I need to pray before I do anything because um, I have the ability to mess things up like from the, from the word go. So I always pray before I even get out of bed. And in a minute, I'll actually show you, I'll talk to you a little bit about what I pray. But I pray and I talk to God. And then when I finish my prayer, I don't say amen. And for me, that's just symbolic that God, now I've opened a conversation with you and the whole rest of my day is an ongoing conversation. And so during your day, there's often many what I call on-the-go prayers. You know, you probably do that. You get on the road, right? Where I live, you get on the road and you're going to get to Highway 14 and there's a train and you're like, oh God, you know, I'm going to be late. And, and so, you know, you kind of do a quick prayer. Oh God, can it just be, you know, three cars or something? And then maybe you get to, maybe you're a student, you get to math class and the teacher says, close your books, we're having a pop quiz. And you probably pray when they say that, and that's okay. God wants us to come to him in all those situations. But what Jesus is talking about here is this. All of that, all of that prayer life, prayer with the grow group, on-the-go prayers, all of that is built on something deeper, and that is a person who schedules dedicated time for prayer to be with God. See, what he's saying about is that I schedule time to get alone away from everyone else and close the door, and I talk with God, and I listen to God. And You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like being married. My wife and I were talking about this last night, how in marriage, there's a lot of on-the-go um, discussions, right? So like last night, my wife came up to me after church, and we had one of those really quick. It was like, she's like, okay, um, so Christopher's going to Taco Bell, and Abigail's going to a movie with a friend, and Nicholas is going to stay with somebody overnight, and Mark's like, and I had a car, so I'm going to go to the store, and then I'm going to go home, and so we're, you know, singing our calendars, and then she's like, high five, and she's on her way, and I'm on my way. And, and when you have kids and a family, there's a lot of on-the-go talking, a lot of discussions. But here's probably what you found out. Those discussions are not very helpful if they're not built upon a relationship with your mate where, and for us, we, it means that we schedule time. You know, we do that every week. So this week we schedule, so it'll be Thursday at 4.30. We schedule time when we will go and we will be alone and we can talk about everything that's going on so that during the rest of the week as we have discussions about problem solving and who's going, all that's built upon something that's a lot deeper and much more intimate and, and something that, that is very intentional on our part. And the same thing is true in our prayer relationship with God. There needs to be those times of dedicated, intentional talking with God and listening to God. Now, you may be the kind of person who's like, well, you know, I don't know, because after like 60 seconds, you know, I get to world peace, and after I pray for world peace, I don't know what else to pray for. And so Jesus actually kind of gives us some help here. In verse 9, he says this, now, this then is how you should pray. So he's not going to give us a formula, but I think when he says this is how you should pray, I've actually decided to take Jesus at his word. This is a good way to pray. And there's a lot of reasons why. But I I would just say this. I've discovered over the years in my prayer life that my prayer life can kind of really get one-sided. 
And my prayer life can often just become kind of really focused on just one or two things. So Jesus says, here's a great way to pray. And in your notes, I've given you, I've broken the, we call it the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. Break it down into five things that he talks about here. The first is worship. A great way to start prayer is this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So you don't, you don't have to recite that, although I'll tell you I do. I actually, I, I pray every day. I actually pray these words, but I, I stop here. I pray this, and then it, this is about worshiping God. It's about thinking about who God is and thinking about what God has done. And when you really think about it, there's no better way to start a discussion with God, is there? Than, than remembering who he is. Your heavenly father, right? Your heavenly Right? He's in heaven and he's your father. He's, he's eternal God. Sometimes it's so easy to come to God and dive right into the, I want, I want, I want, I want, I need. And the problem is we miss, it's not like God's in heaven going, I just feel so um, needy today. I need some affirmation, right? That's not what this is about. You need to remember who God is. You need to remember how great he is and how awesome he is. And, and so I think Jesus says one of the best contexts for prayer is to remember how great God is and how amazing God is. So here's a good thing to do. Start your prayer time by just remembering some of the things that you're thankful for. Like, remember all the stuff you prayed for yesterday and last week that he did for you? Did you ever just stop to say, thanks, God, I really appreciate what you did for me. So he says, start by, by worshiping God, our Father in heaven. And then, here's the second thing. Pray for God's will. Now, he says, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's a lot of theological debate, what's the kingdom of God? And actually, I think it's silly because Jesus kind of defines it for us. The kingdom of God is wherever God's rule and reign exists. So, for instance, God's kingdom exists in heaven because his rule and reign are perfectly realized there. And Jesus came to, to preach the kingdom, to spread the kingdom of God. And what that means is anywhere where God's rule and reign is realized is where the kingdom of God has come. So, for instance, if God's kingdom, if, if his rule and reign is happening in your marriage, then his kingdom has come to your marriage. If it's happening in your checkbook, then, it's, then you know, his kingdom has come to your checkbook. And so he's come to spread his kingdom. Now, here's the reason this is so important. Because, again, it's really easy to just guide, dive into, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And sometimes we never stop to ask, God, what do you want? God, what do you want in my marriage? Because, really, the truth is, sometimes I want things that you probably don't want. And sometimes I probably desire things that you don't desire for me. So a great thing to do before you get into the I want, I want, I want is to stop and ask God, God, what do you want? God, what do you want in my marriage? God, what do you want in my relationship with my kids, with my parents? What do you want, you know, in the decisions I have to make? God, how could your kingdom be reflected in my finances? How would your kingdom come to my job and to my eating and to my exercising and to my sexuality? God, what would it mean for your kingdom to come? to all of those things. So we pray for the rule and reign of God. And then the third thing is the part we don't usually have a problem getting to, to pray for requests, right? So God, I need some food, I need some cash, and I need the, I need the new iPhone. So that's just where it is, and those are the things I need, and so we move on. And I say that because most of us, we, we know how to do that pretty good, and God cares about that. Um, and then there's confession. Um, confession for sin. So again, this is kind of one of those things that's easy to kind of come to God and forget <laughs> that as we ask for all this stuff, sometimes there's the, a, an elephant in the room. And that is, you know, I, like God's sitting there going, but you just did that thing or said that thing or went to that place or whatever or gave that thing or spent that thing. And um, I wasn't even in any of that. 
And we should probably talk a little bit about that. So it tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we, if we confess our sins, that we receive forgiveness, we receive cleansing. And so he says there needs to be a time where we get right with God so there's nothing between us and Him. And also, he said, then we need to make sure that our accounts are, are clean with other people so that if there's someone else who sinned against us, that we would forgive them the same way that our Father has forgiven us. And the last area is for protection. Um, it's just a way of saying, you know what, God, I'm about to go out into a world that's bigger than me and more stronger and wants to take me down and wants to hurt me, and, and I need your protection. So God, I pray that you would, would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or some translations would say the evil one. Now, I just had a lot more discipline because I think I took three times as long in the last service to get through those. I tell you this because I love the Lord's Prayer. I'm a person who can easily, like, in fact, I had this experience on Friday. I'm mowing my lawn, and I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer because it's just great for me. And it's a weird thing. Like, I started with worship, and I can't explain this, but I'm kind of, I'm starting worship. I'm going to spend some time worshiping. In fact, the whole front lawn is worship. So I'm like mowing the front lawn, and, and I'm worshiping God, and all of a sudden I realize I'm praying for something I want. I was just like, how did that happen? How did I just, I don't even know how it happened. All of a sudden it was just about, so I stopped and I started worshiping God again. Then a few minutes later I noticed I had gone back on. So for me, I love the Lord's Prayer because it helps bring some balance to my prayer life. But, but anyways, Jesus is just saying that a private prayer life is, it's basically a discipline that tells God, I, I am so dependent on you to, to live life that I wouldn't even think of doing it without talking to you. I wouldn't even think of, of living, of going through my day without worshiping you first. And I wouldn't even think about doing it without coming to you and asking, God, you know, before I even talk to my wife today, what's it mean for your kingdom to come to my marriage? And I wouldn't even think about doing it without asking for, for your provision today and confessing my sin. And the reward is not that when we do that, God will now just say yes to, oh, well, you prayed the right prayer, so now I'll just say yes to everything. Right? The, I think that the reward is that we get greater intimacy with God. And so at first, yeah, it might feel like a discipline. And at first, sometimes you may spend time in extended prayer and walk out going, that was a lot of work. But I think the promise that's held out for us is that this is a discipline that after a while will become so sweet to you, that will become so, so beautiful and meaningful to you, that it, it won't even be a discipline. I, for me personally, to think of prayer as a discipline in my life is kind of silly because I've just reached a point where I absolutely love it. And I'll, I'll admit, sometimes it's very selfish because I just want to talk to God so much. And so this is a great, this, this great discipline for us. And now we're going to get to the last one. And um, we won't get to number four today, but we'll get to the third one because this is the one you've been waiting for. This is, this is the one that we live for. Nothing says, woohoo, like, like fasting. And Jesus knew it, so he didn't want to leave it out. So let's, let's move on to verse 16. Now, when you fast, okay, so here's what I love, right? Jesus, first of all, says, not if you fast. So I know, you know, there's kind of this thing in the church today, like, well, you know, fasting was for people who lived a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, or, or maybe even fasting is for, you know, Pastors fast. That's what we pay them for, you know. We pay you not to eat today. You're, you know, you're supposed to fast on our behalf. Jesus speaking to all of us. Okay, so now when you fast, now there's a construction that happens. You can go back and look at this, but there's a construction where he says, when you give and when you pray and when you fast, he says them all exactly the same way. In other words, he sees them as all being on the same level. So I don't know that we always think of giving 
and prayer and fasting as being on the same level. But that's how Jesus approaches him. He says, you should think about fasting the way you think about prayer and the way you think about giving. So what is fasting? Well, I put it this way. Fasting is to voluntarily reduce or eliminate your intake of food for a specific time and for a specific purpose. And in the Bible, fa- fasting always includes um, an extra time of prayer. That's the basic idea. I give a beating and I spend more time in prayer. Fasting always includes prayer. And without prayer, fasting is just a diet, okay? Which kind of may have its own reward, but it's not the same thing. And if you look in the Bible, there's just a long history of, of fasting in the Bible. You, you have Moses fasting before he receives the Ten Commandments. You have the Israelites fasting before they go into a major battle. You have Daniel fasting to receive guidance from God. You have Nehemiah fasting before he a- undertakes this huge project in Jerusalem. You have Jesus fasting while he's going through his period of temptations and before he starts his, his earthly ministry. You have the church that gathered for times of fasting when they had to make major uh, decisions in the church. So why do we fast? What's behind all that? Well, first of all, here's why we don't fast. We don't fast to gain points with God through our suffering, okay? All right, that's not the point here. The reason we fast, and I'll, let me just give you a few. Um, first of all, it frees up more time for prayer. So I don't know how much time you spend eating each day, but, but if we give up that time of eating and devote that time to prayer, it frees up more time to talk to God and seek Him in prayer. Uh, a second reason is because it highlights my dependence on God over food. So if this makes sense to you, like it's easy to say to God, God, I need you more than I need bagels, okay? It's easy to say that, but when we fast, what we're literally saying is this. You know what, God, someday my body is not going to require food anymore, right? But my soul will still be completely dependent on you. This body's gonna come and this body's gonna go. But God, my soul depends on you for its eternal existence. And the reality is, God, that I can long-term survive without food, but I cannot survive without you. Another reason we fast is because it demonstrates the depth of, of the desire of the thing that we're praying for. So sometimes in the Bible, you'll see people who there's something that's so big, something that's so huge, you know, God, I need some, I need some divine um, guidance from you, or God, I'm just hoping she says yes, or whatever it is, you know, so we, we have a time of just focusing in. And it's a way of kind of showing the depth of our desire. And another re- reason we can fast is because at times it releases God's supernatural power. Uh, you might remember a story in the New Testament where the disciples try to cast out a demon. doesn't happen. They come to Jesus and he says, well, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. So there's something about fasting at times that releases the supernatural power of God in a way that nothing else does. Now, when we talk about fasting today, we're, uh, this is not something in our culture um, that that we're very familiar with. But back then, he would have been speaking to a crowd that were like, oh yeah, we know all about fasting. Back in those days, there was a group of of religious leaders called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had a practice of fasting twice a week. Twice a week, they would fast for a 24-hour period. But it was very, very um, targeted. They would practice their fasting on the second and the fifth day of the week. And they did it for a very specific reason. Because on the second day and the fifth day of the week, it was the big market day in Jerusalem. So that was the day that all the farmers and all the merchants and all the shoppers would come to town. And there would be more people in town on that day than any other day. So that would be the day that they would fast when everyone else was all about food 
they would be about fasting. And they, they would get up in the morning and they would try to make themselves look kind of unsightly and, oh, I'm, you know, faint and I can barely get by. And they would kind of walk through the marketplace like, oh, please, you guys, can, can't you see I'm fasting, you know? And, and um, their purpose was they really wanted people to be impressed by their fasting. And in fact, I would imagine that a lot of people were impressed by their fasting. Jesus just says, but that's all you get. That's your reward. A few people will be like, hey, you're, you're, you're pretty cool. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. And he calls them hypocrites for the same reason he did earlier, because they want to look like one thing, but they're really another thing. They wanted to look humble and spiritual, but they were actually proud and extremely unspiritual. So he goes on and he tells us this, but now when, when you fast, again, you got to love that, right? Not if you fast, but when you fast, Put oil on your head. So today, that would be like, put some product in your hair, put some mousse in your hair, you know, if that works for you. Um, and put that, and then wash your face, right? Because that's always a good idea. Wash your face, put some deodorant on, change your clothes for Pete's sake, um, you know, and, and so that it's not obvious to people that you're fasting, right? And, 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 but only to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret, Again, this is motive-wise, right? We'll, we'll reward you. So he talks about this being done in secret. So again, here's what it doesn't mean, all right? It doesn't mean that if you are fasting, and let's say you, you, you go to the office and you walk in, and somebody says, hey, dude, you, you look like you're fasting. Are you fasting? And they're like, well, I might as well go eat breakfast now because it doesn't count. Somebody figured it out. And again, that's not what he's talking about. He's, what he's saying is that your goal shouldn't be that everyone notices you. In fact, I'll just encourage you, if you have Facebook, go to Gateway's Facebook page today, and I posted a video on there about a guy, and his whole goal is to fast today, and he wants to make sure every single person knows that he's fasting. It's a great video. But anyways, this, that's what Jesus is talking about. That is not your goal to be noticed by people. Instead, he says, you want to be noticed by God. And again, notice he says that God will reward you. So I, I love that. He says, when you fast to impress people, that's what you'll get. And by the way, big deal. Why? Why are you even concerned about impressing people, right? Since when did that have some kind of great long-term payoff for you? Instead, what he says is this. When you fast, the only person that you care notices is God. And again, I do think it's interesting that he says you do want God to notice because there's a reward in there for you. If you're doing it for the right motives, what is the right motive? I think the right motive is to come to God and say, God, there's nothing that I need more than you. And quite frankly, on a daily basis, the thing I think about more than anything is probably food. So I'm going to give up food today so that I can really show my absolute total dependence on you. And so I can kind of experience that physically. So I've been thinking a lot about that um, in my own personal life over the summer, kind of reading through this passage and thinking about this. And, you know, I think for me, the conviction that I came to was in my own life— I have a certain love, you know, when it comes to giving, um, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to daily Bible reading, these are things that I have strong convictions about. And what I realized was, um, in my own life, um, I'm not really reflecting what Jesus taught here, because I really have not felt about fasting the same way I feel about prayer, for instance. I'm just being honest with you here. Um, And I realized that, and yet it was really important. And for those times when I have fasted, I would admit those have been really meaningful times for me. But honestly, it just, 
It's a discipline. So this summer I decided I really need to work on the discipline of fasting because I think there's a reward there and I'd really like to experience that. And then I thought about it and I prayed about it. I thought, you know, if I'm going to do it, I think I should just make everybody do it with me. So I want to talk with you for a minute about that as we close this off. We are going to start something in our church that we're going to call Day One. Um, I'm kind of a, I'm a creature of habit. I need to kind of get in a, in a cycle of things. And so what I decided at first was the easiest way for me to remember to fast is I'll just fast on the first day of every month. I'll give God that. So, you know, we think about, for instance, tithing is giving God the first part of our money. And I think of Bible reading as giving God the first word of my day. I think about prayers, having you know, the first discussion I have. And so I thought, you know, tithing or, or when it comes to fasting, I'll give God the first day of the month, and they'll always kind of help me remember that. And then I thought, hey, why don't all of us do it? Because I'm sure we'd all like to do it. So I'm letting you know today about something we're inviting you into, and I'm not going to send, pa- Pastor Ken's not going to follow you around on the first, and you know, hey, wait a minute, you're eating, you know, we're not going to do that. But I would invite you to join us as a church on the first of the month. We're going to start in October. Um, I know you're probably so excited you want to start right now. But we're going to do October 1st is like a week and a couple days from now. It's a Tuesday. And what we're going to do on day one is this. We, the week before, we'll put out a special prayer list that we'd invite you to give us. You, know, you can give us some prayer requests. Call Jackie. Email it in. I'd like people to be praying for me um, the weekend before. So next weekend, we'll have a special prayer list that you can get. As you leave today in the Welcome Center, we have a whole pamphlet of information on how to fast and some more Bible stuff to read. And this is, this is put out in a 40 Days of Community campaign by Saddleback Church that we did a few years ago. So we've reprinted it. You can grab some of those on the way out and read that. And then um, we're just going to invite everybody in our church on the first day of each month um, to take the day and to fast and to pray. To pray for revival in our church, to pray for revival in our community, to pray that when we gather on the weekends for worship, that God will be honored and God will be glorified in a supernatural way, in a way that he has never been before, that the word of God would go out from this place in a way that it never has before, that we'll see people getting saved in our community in a way that we never have before, that we'd see spiritual growth taking place, that we'd, be, that we'd see sin repented of, that we'd see grace dispensed in a way that we've never, ever seen before because we do believe that fasting can release the supernatural power of God. And then we would say to God, we're really not satisfied with the way things are because we believe that you're a bigger God than this. And we want to experience that. And so we're going to fast because Jesus said, I think you should do it. And we want to say yes to God. So at first, it's not going to be maybe as organized. And, you know, the great thing about this is that it, no matter where you are on that day, you can fast. If you're at work or if you meet with your grow group or whatever. In fact, we're going to encourage grow groups to think about gathering together for a few minutes to, to pray together. Um, maybe some of you want to have people at your house. We'll look to open the church that day for prayer as well. But we're going to do that next weekend in our worship services. We'll tell you a little bit more about day one and how that's going to work. But when it comes to fast, let me just mention this really fast. There's a lot of different ways that you can fast. And um, if, if you're not sure, you should probably talk to your doctor about fasting. So for instance, for me, I have to take certain medications. So I have to get a little bit creative in having 24 hours. And I can do it. Just have to kind of bend the medication rules a little bit. But, but there are several kinds of fasts. The first one I call the H2 only fast. I love that. And that's just water, okay? So just, you know, that's where you drink water all day long. That's all you get. You abstain from all food and from all juices for 24 hours. 
Now, the next one, oh man, I thought a lot about this. I'm really proud of this one. I call this the slim fast, all right? So it's not a full fast. It's not a three-meal fast, just a slim. So maybe for you, you can only do a meal, or maybe you can only fast from two meals, or maybe you just, you know, I'm not going to go to Starbucks that day, or whatever that, whatever it is that you and God agree on, it may not be a full fast, and don't let people judge you for that, okay? Because remember, this is between you and God. But that you would do maybe a slim fast, or here's, this is the one I want to do. I want to do the Jamba fast, right? So that's, a lot of people are into this, just fruit juices and, and vegetables and smoothies, right, for the day. So, well, again, this is between you and God. Don't let people become legalistic. Don't let someone else tell you what constitutes a fast. But do go to God and get this straight with Him. So, and, and the bottom line is when it comes to fasting is this, okay? Fasting is not so much about food as it is about focus, so be careful because it, it, fasting can easily become all about the food. All you think about all day long is food. And again, you got to go see the video because that's what this guy does. All he can do all day long is think about food. And, you know, by 9.30 in the morning, he's falling apart at the office. He can just hardly stand it. That's the fo- it's, it's all about focusing on God. Fasting is not so much about saying no to the body as it is saying yes to the Spirit of God. And fasting is not a means of, of seeking God's blessings as much as it is seeking God. And I believe that the reward we get at the end of the day is we get more of God. That as we spend time with God and, and we dedicate that time of prayer and being with God, that what we, what we find is that God is, is bigger than food, that, that he's what we need more than food, and we find God there in a way that our, our faith is stretched and grown and our intimacy with God. Because remember, trust is what it all comes down to. That as we experience that, whether it's prayer or whether it's giving or whether it's fasting, as we'll talk about, we'll come back to this Bible reading. And Bible reading is really easy. Here's the whole point, okay? Read your Bible every day, okay? Because that's the Word of God, the voice of God, that you got the whole thing, right? Start your day by reading the Word of God, and we'll talk more about that. So, disciplines, and there's a lot more, but the point is this. Sometimes we discipline ourselves to do things because there is a reward and a payoff that is so worth it. Let's pray together.